Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. My name is Michael Lejeune and I'll be your host today on Game Changers. I want to get right into the show by welcoming our guest, Kathy Barkowski. Kathy is the founder of of GovernmentContractingMadeSimple.com. Kathy, please take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your company. Thanks, Michael. I'm really excited to be on. I love the fact that you are out there to help businesses win more contracts because it's not an easy process by any means. So I started Government Contracting Made Simple because I was consistently getting questions from small businesses and um, marketing leads within larger businesses about what do I really need to be doing in order to go after more contracts and write better proposals. There were just a lot of questions and as I tried to direct them to different things, I found there's not a simple place out there to understand very quickly and easily in sort of the way we read and learn nowadays. There's a lot of in-depth websites, but most folks just needed a simple, give me a couple steps, let me take off. And so I was like, okay, I can put that together for you. And that's that's how I started uh, government contracting, made simple, the website. Yeah, and, and I love your website. Uh, you know, we were talking before the show here. And when I hit the website, I knew in like the first two or three minutes – this lady grasps marketing and she grasps her knowledge of this subject. And, and she really made a, a website that was so simple. I mean, it's right in your name, but it's so simple for me to understand, simple for me to understand what you do and how you do it and the calls to actions and things like that. I just, I love it. One of the things that jumped out on me was your background that's on there. And so I don't think I've ever met another a Navy diver before, and especially someone who is also a stunt double in Hollywood. So I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into the, the Navy diving and then how you transitioned from that into the, the stunt double side of things. Absolutely. So I was really lucky. I went to the Naval Academy and they had a pretty competitive program to become a, a Navy diver and bomb technician or EOD if you've seen the Hurt Locker. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I was selected for that. So I got to go to dive school, EOD school, and I had an absolute blast. And as an officer, I learned a ton about small team leadership and how to just get things done. Then when I got out of the Navy in 2008, <laughs> the Great Recession was in large effect. And so not as many people were hiring as, as I'd heard would happen. And I was just reading a book about personalities and the jobs you should be doing. And it recommended stunt double. And I was like, huh. yes, yes, I need to do that. So you and got so, that out of a book? Uh, you read yeah. a book? <laughs> like, oh, I took a, a personality double. test and it said, oh, marketing sales stunt double. And I was like, I pick you stunt double. Th- those are those are very different, different things. Uh, so <laughs> so what um, I'm always curious about this with folks, especially in in those two scenarios where it's, you know, high thrill, high, high excitement, high danger. What was the scariest moment in either or that, that you experienced? I actually have a diving while being a stunt double experience. We were doing Titanic 2. Do not go find it and watch it. It's not great. <laughs> I, it's very, I, my very kids deep. have actually made me watch that. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. Well, I am the person at the end. So, of course, Titanic 2 sinks just like Titanic 1. And so there's going to be diving stunts in it. And that's where I come in. And I double uh, the woman who's playing the the lead, and she has to be locked in a box with stuff on top of the box so it's impossible to get out. Luckily, she has scuba gear, but then she has to come out of it. And so it's completely pitch black. There's a bunch of people around who I've never worked with before. This is the first time I'd worked with this dive team, and it's me trapped in a box. And pretty much like every little spidey sense I had was telling me, you know, this might not be your best plan ever, Kathy, but just do it. And so I did it. I ended up having a lot of fun, but it was... Definitely a little, a little nerve, nerve wracking. Yeah, that, that's. I think you just tired in every fear that every human being has. You know, fear of the dark, fear of tight spaces, fear of being trapped underwater. I mean, there's like every fear possible there, and uh, it, so I get you just had a, a really good team, and it just kind of worked out, huh? Yeah, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was so a lot of fun. Any any other stunt double stories you can share with us? Nothing super crazy. I did some motorcycle stunts and then a couple of little commercials and you basically just have to learn how to fall down. But I'd have to say the biggest skill that is applicable to proposals and business development and government contracting is how to network. Because with stunts, I came in knowing nobody and it's all about who you know because you have to get a, a new job every day essentially. Wow. And I just had, it's, it's like government contracting. You just have to go in and talk to the people that hold the things that you need or, or want to go after just have to buck up and have that conversation. Yeah. I mean, I mean that really it's as it starts to lead into our discussion here, do do you find as someone who's, you know, part of your title as being an entrepreneur, do you just not have any fear? I mean, is that, is that part of what Kathy is? Is she just doesn't have any fear? Oh no, I have controlled fear. I have my fear. I push it to the side. I put the meeting that I have to go to on a calendar and I just show up like that's, and that's how everybody has to do it. Like, you don't know what you're going to say necessarily going in. You don't know how it's going to go. But not having the conversation is 10 times worse than even messing the conversation up. Right. I mean, I, I really do think while while we're talking about proposals today on this, I, I think this is an important subject because most of the entrepreneurs I talk to are super smart guys. They have skills and ideas beyond the average person and yet most of the entrepreneurs I talk to are dead broke. I, I mean, they are. And, and when it, and it all boils down to this fear and then I talk to somebody who 
I love what you said, has controlled fear to say, yes, I am afraid of that, but I am going to do it because the consequences of not doing it are worse. And so I, I, I think that's a really important point for people to grasp out of this as we get into this proposal discussion is putting aside the fear. Because um, I know I'm, I'm a writer as well. And so when, anytime we write anything, especially proposals, uh, we did a 300-page business case analysis for um, Department of Defense a couple of years ago. And it's like there's just 300 pages of, of my life on those papers. And you're afraid, especially when, when the senator comes back and, you know, it's, it's all red and bloodied up afterwards. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, man, I don't want to do that again. Um, so it's important to just look past the fear and get into it. So I'm glad you brought that up early on in this discussion. So, so that's really cool. So there's one other thing I'd love to, so in the, in the introduction that you were talking about, you said, um, about how simple my website was. And I just want to tie that really quickly to proposals because I feel like so many people think that the world of proposals and writing should be this complex, big word, super fancy, but the truth of the matter is there's a human being grading your proposal and the more simple and straightforward and conversational you can be to explain the very complicated things you're probably going to do for them, the better. Like People just want to understand very quickly and very easily what it is you're trying to provide them. Mm, yeah, I, I like you saying that too. I, I'm one of those simple people. So there, I will look at somebody's writing and say, wow, you took two and a half pages to tell me what I'm about to tell you in a paragraph. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it looks good. It's very wordy. I mean, you've, you know, you filled the pages. That's nice, but I don't know what you're saying at the end of it, or you've said the same thing 18 times. And so I'm one of those people I've, I've been very successful with my writing and people look at it and say, well, you didn't, you, that's not enough. There should be more on the web page or there should be more in the book. There should be more in the proposal. So I like you saying how simple, um, these proposals should be because it is people. And, and I, I think it's people who are busy, right? I mean, anybody who's reading a proposal is not typically reading one. They may be reading 100. Yeah. So, I mean, they can't read, you know, six books on on your proposal thing here. So, so our, our topic today was about saving time, money, and headaches on your next proposal. Where do companies waste the most money, uh, and time when they start writing a proposal, in your opinion? In my opinion, it is, okay, the proposal came, the RFP came out, and now I'm going to grab my last proposal that I just wrote, and I'm just going to try to mash it around until it kind of looks like something that matches the RFP. Just get it close. That's all. Just get it close. Because what it ends up happening is if you, if you don't do what I'm about to say in just a second, or I'm going to tell you like the way that I do it and it makes life way easier, if you don't do that, you end up, Editing to the point where you forgot to tie in the three things that you had to say in that section in order to be compliant. You forgot to tell them why you're better than the competition because you're so busy editing and figuring out what the heck you said last time to make it fit into this, this new thing. Mm. And then the other part of it is most folks are like, well, I need to tell a story. I don't care about what order it's in. I just need to tell that story. And what I've found is because the government, if you just have to think of who is your Who's your reader? Your reader is someone that has a checklist that's in the exact order of the RFP that they just submitted or that they just released. And they want you to tell them all of their answers to all of their questions in the exact order to make their lives easy. Mm. And so what I like to tell people is if you truly want to save the most time and money on a proposal, you have to, number one, start with a blank piece of paper, grab the RFP, and 
depending on how that RFP is structured, it might be section L and section M, it might be proposal requirements and evaluation criteria, whatever that contract's form is, you grab those pieces that are telling you what they want and you put all of your headings in that order. And then you take the time to think through, okay, these are my headings, now what major points do I need to make in each one? And you actually do an outline. I mean, I hated outlines in the third grade, I will grant you that, but all of a sudden now in my 30s, I love outlines because they make sure I am writing what I need to write in order to write a compliant and compelling proposal. And it's super simple. I mean, we did it in the third grade, so we can certainly do it as we get older. Yeah, it's it's the first thing you learn in English class, right? <laughs> exactly. And then here's what's cool. If you have a solid outline and you know what points you need to make, you can then go grab those old proposals and pull in only the pieces you need rather than a whole conglomeration of stuff that you don't. Right. Right. No, I, I think that you're spot on there. You know, I do see people say, OK, the last proposal we did for this was here. OK, let's start editing. And it's like, oh, no, you didn't just do that. I, I operate much more like you do. Anything we do, let's start with the outline, figure out what we need and, and then kind of go from there. So I, I think that's brilliant. So what can companies do or, or find out before an RFP comes out that will actually make their proposal writing easier? So, Michael, I think this kind of falls into what you do, where you're helping your folks sort of do more of the capture side of the world, like really position yourself well for the proposal. A lot of folks go into meetings with the, their potential future clients, and they just start talking about, well, this is what I can do. What, you sh what we really need to find out for your proposal is what does the client care about? Because then, throughout your proposal, you're going to tell them, this is your problem. These are, the, these are the major things that you're worried about. I truly understand what the heck you need here, and here's my solution that fits that. Because if we haven't found out what they really want, then I'm just going to tell you my solution, and it may or may not fit, and you're not going to grade me as well. Mm. No, that, that's, that's perfect. You know, and, it, and it's funny. If anybody is listening to this podcast and you've listened to like the last three or four in a row, um, every guest that has been on here, that has been a, a consistent theme. They've said... Go find out more about your customers. Go find out more about what their problems are and understand their problems, not just go in there with your solutions. So if you're hearing that, that's a consistent theme for a reason from very successful people on how to win more contracts. So please pay attention to what Kathy just said there about that. So there's a lot of people, and, and I actually just got educated on this recently because I'm not a proposal writer. I am a writer, but I'm not a proposal writer. And we, we were talking to a proposal writer a few weeks ago, and she started throwing out all these different systems and processes. And I'm like, I got no idea what you're talking about. Do you use a specific system that's out there? Because I know there's a bunch of different ones for proposals. You know, Do you recommend one for small businesses or proposal teams? I'm actually the anti-large, complicated proposal process person. Um, you, there's a million training things you can go out there. I mean, some of them are expensive and they've got, you hear about color teams and milestone reviews and all of these. I mean, I learned a new language when I started proposals, mm. a completely new language. Yeah. And what I found is just simplify it. Get away from using words to say what you mean and just say what you mean. So mm. I usually recommend for small businesses, you need three meetings in the, in, during a 30 day proposal process or even a shorter one. You can tailor it. For that, to actually write your technical response. It's just the outline meeting, the rough draft meeting, and the final draft meeting. And if you, maybe you don't actually call them that. I mean, you can call them the color teams or whichever you want. But if you tell people, hey, this is the outline meeting, they're not coming in expecting a whole bunch of written prose. If you tell them, 
hey, this is your final draft. No kidding. Give me your comments or you, you don't get to put input in on this proposal. Then you get a different sort of input and um, participation by your reviewers. And the other thing that I usually recommend small businesses do is stay really iterative and get a strong person that understands how to write a proposal, which is different than like a normal technical editor. So if you can, you can, maybe you don't have the bandwidth to set one person aside for proposals all the time, but you have someone who's a strong writer when it comes to sort of marketing and explaining um, what your company does in easy to understand language. That person, I would just start to set aside time for them to help you on your proposals so that you consistently get someone who's hearing the reviewer's feedback all the time, knows what need what the, what the document needs to end up looking like so that every single time you do a proposal it's not a brand new team and like oh my god what do we do there's it's such a complicated big process mm-hmm. no that makes a lot of sense so and you know when i'm talking to people they typically have a rough system even if it's not color teams or different i just learned what color teams were recently but even if it's even if it's not color teams or, or different things like that they put together some sort of rough system that they use. Um, and I'm sure you're familiar with, with how that works with a lot of people. So what steps, if I do have a, a system, what are some steps that I, I might be able to skip? What could be absolutely, hey, you've got to stick to this. There's no way around it. Um, do you have some thoughts on, on that side for the people who are using systems? Absolutely. So for the steps that you can skip, if you've been introduced to the very large systems that are out there, what I found is anything that sort of leads up to the blue team, if you truly understand what needs to go into your outline and wh- how it needs to be compliant, you can kind of skip a lot of that stuff. Like you don't have, a lot of it is just sort of changing formats. One one of the color teams is in an Excel sort of format. Another's in a Microsoft Word format. Another's in more PowerPoint. And you can kind of mesh all that together as you, long as you understand, okay, when I'm in, in the outline phase, I need to have, all my headings in the exact order of the RFP. I need to have uh, my rough graphics. And when I say rough graphics, I mean you drew something on a piece of paper with pen and ink. You took a picture with your phone and you emailed it to yourself so that you could put it in the document. Because you want to do, you want to get agreement from your your reviewers that hey, this is the direction we want to go before you start sprinting off in expensive graphic directions. Yeah. And then the other thing I always like to say is, if you have really solid proposal writers and a ninja proposal team. And you can do smaller, more iterative reviews. That, and I like to call this agile, this kind of, uh, you always hear about software development with the agile process where you get sort of little mini accomplishments done throughout without having to wait for like a longer big piece and maybe that piece isn't right. And so I really think there's a lot of potential around doing it in small pieces, getting consistent feedback, uh, putting in a strong editor sometimes to give your writer that feedback. And then you can get to a better product faster, essentially. Well, that was actually my, my next question is, you know, for a lot of people, when they hear the word, hey, we're going to respond to this RFP, the first thing they think is, great, let me let my family know they're not going to see me for the next two months. Uh, let me, you know, pack a sleeping bag and some snacks because this is this is a long process. So how do you make the proposal process faster? I like to think of it as putting it into smaller pieces. So if I tell you you have to write a proposal, that's exactly what you do. I'm like, oh man, my kid's birthday was in two weeks. I guess I'm not not doing that birthday party anymore. 
But what if instead you told your, your writers or your leads for your different sections and you said, hey, Tuesday I need two pages. Thursday I need these next two pages. And then just did it in smaller bite-sized pieces instead of just, hey, can you just give me that 50 pages in a week? That would be great. Because we all procrastinate. Right. And then you don't get to see it and they stress. And if we set smaller, more manageable milestones throughout the entire process, it, and you get to t poke into that document as the proposal manager and actually sort of start to shape it, by the time you're at the end, the, the person that's writing knows exactly what to expect from you. And so they're writing more in, in line with what you want. And that iterative, that consistently sort of updating and staying involved with the documents the whole time is going to probably free up a couple of your weekends. Mm, no, that sounds good. So there's a lot of controversy around this next question I want to ask you. I, I hear people in both sides of the camp here. There's one camp that says you should absolutely always hire an outside proposal writer. And then there's another side of the camp that says, don't ever do it. It's a huge waste of money. It's, it's, it's bad to do that. So what are your thoughts on that? And I, I know there's got to be a good way to do this because there's so many of you out there and you're so much better at this process than the average company. Because, you know, the average company, we are an IT company or we're a services company. We're not proposal writers. And that's what you do. So, so what are your thoughts on using the outside proposal writer and, and ways that make it just, you know, strategically a, a better choice? I think there's sort of two sides to the answer for that one. The first is... If you have never written a proposal, if you have, you're not really sure what exactly, or maybe you have, but it just was really uncomfortable and not fun at all. And, and you just, you know that you could do better if you had a guide, but you also don't want to go to a week long course six months before the RFP comes out. And then you've forgotten everything anyway. Right. This is where I like to put in a proposal consultant that's like knows how to run the process, knows how to write a really good response and hopefully can do a really solid edit also. And have them essentially teach your people how to, how to write a good proposal. Because you get two things out of it. You get just by being and participating, I mean, you get on-the-job training from someone that does it all the time. That is invaluable for the people that will work with that person. And then the other part of it is you get a great proposal artifact that you can then use in the future. So even if you never use that proposal consultant again, the $5,000 you spent there can then be spread across three, four, five, six proposals because of the learning and the, the content that was left over. Mm. And then the flip side of that is it's never a bad idea to have a to to not maybe not use a proposal consultant constantly for every proposal to manage the entire thing and spend tens of thousands of dollars on them. But what if instead you have them set up that outline I was talking about and then two two really solid edits. In the course of it, I mean, we're talking small dollar value for really, really impactful, valuable things that will make a massive difference in the proposal that you end up submitting. Hey, you know, you, you said a couple of things there that I've actually never heard someone in, in your in your industry say before about and and I want to emphasize this because if if Kathy's saying these things and she's ne and I've never heard this out of anybody else's mouth the odds are she's a very different company so if you need her services this is the lady you want to call for this stuff but you're you're basically coaching them on the process and not doing it for them 
I, I mean, educating them on the process, educating them on the outline. Even if you are in, managing the outline and some of those things, they're learning from you how to do it. They're not submitting, you know, 20 different documents to you and you going off in your little cave and working on this and then submitting it back and, you know, getting yelled at because they don't like the, like, that's the normal when I think when people hear proposal writer, that's what they think. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff. You're going to ask a whole bunch of questions. You're going to go away for two months. And then a week before the deadline, you're going to produce this document that I have to, to, you know, redline and then submit. But that is not what you just described. It's, (laughs) It's far from it. So I truly believe that the more, as a proposal consultant, the more I train the people I'm working with, the better product we're going to produce at the end, which ultimately, because let's be honest, most of the time people are just so busy, they need a proposal consultant. That's going to guarantee me more work than fishing for you, essentially. Mm. And I even take this a step further for teams where I know I'm going to go back to the same company or proposal team over and over. I like to do a training before every proposal, just a small, it's only 30 minutes. And all it is is, hey, this is the process we're going to do. These are the expectations I have for you. Are there any questions? And that one 30-minute training has, I mean, I have no doubts, it saves me hours and hours of headaches because most of the time you get a brand new group of people who are like, oh, nice to meet you. We're going to be working together and writing a document together. And you just say, RFPs out, go. Yeah. And it's just not a way to play a game, I don't think. No. It, well, it's not a way to win. Yeah. You know, in which, you know, a lot of people are out there, you know, and they're judging themselves kind of like the government judges itself, right? The government says we're, we're not necessarily in this to win it. We're in a volume game. So, you know, how much stuff can we do? Um, and I think that's where a lot of managers are in that role. If we submitted, you know, 4,000 RFPs, you know, last year. So, you know, kudos to us. Well, how many did you win? It really doesn't matter if you submitted that many. How many did you win? So um, so all really, really good stuff. So um, I want to thank you for being on here. But before you go, I want to see if you have any final thoughts for our listeners on this whole topic. The biggest thing I'd love to for people to just take away is that proposals aren't that hard. If you just tell the government the answers to the question that they're asking – I'm coming from, I was a Navy diver and bomb technician and then a stunt double and I jumped right into proposals and I I learned really quickly how to do it all because I was just very straightforward in my writing. I was just very straightforward and this is the process that has to happen. And so as someone that is trying to win contracts and beating down doors, like just know that your skills are useful and that proposal writing does not have to be this hairy, scary, ugly beast. Yeah. And you can win with simple stuff, right? Yes, uh, you exactly. Can, you can you'll win, win with, better. You'll win You'll stuff. win better. You'll win more. I love it. So thank you so much for all your wisdom today and being a great guest. I definitely want to have you back on. You're a wealth of knowledge in the proposal space. So um, again, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we're going to have you back on in the near future to talk more about proposals. Great. Thanks, Michael. Good luck to everybody. Thank you so much. So I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. You can also learn about each of our guests by visiting the official Game Changers website at rsmfederal.com forward slash Game Changers, where we'll have links to their websites, bios, and any other information from them. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode, the Federal Access 
access program at rsmfederal.com forward slash FA for more information on how you can find and win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers. Thank you.